I think it's this like success mindset. I think it's like, uh, what can I do now that I couldn't do then? And like I said, turning tradition upside down, you've got to get rid of it. Your winter concerts are not going to look the same. Nothing, nothing's going to look the same right now. So make the most of it. Welcome to the Choir Baton, a podcast designed to engage with people and stories, ideas, and inspirations stemming from choir. No other art form, no sport, no hobby, no business requires a group of people to execute a communal goal with just their voices. Join me, your host, Beth Philemon, as I interview guests who are singers, teacher conductors, instrumentalists, and community members. Together, we'll ask questions, seek understanding, and share insight from our experiences in life and in choir. That's all right. Well, let's jump in. Okay. You ready? Yes. I wrote down all of my thoughts and ideas so that they're like fresh. Because otherwise, I feel like I would have finished the conversation and been like, oh, but I could have said so much more. <laughs> This is the difference um, of Caitlin and I and like preparedness and um, just all around awesomeness. So every student knows in every school that they attend, whether it is high school, college, anything, teachers have their favorites, whether they say it or not. And you can listen for teachers' favorites by how they thread names into conversations. And if you're a student, of Edith Copley at Northern Arizona University. There are two names that you will hear threaded through conversations. And one is Herman and um, who we lost, um, you know, several years ago. Were you in school when he was there? Yeah. Okay. So close friend with him. It is, I mean, when I went to prepare for my graduate lecture recital, like you, there's a filing cabinet in the Coral Studies office that has everyone's papers in them. And like, I went to his paper first and pulled it out to look, to model, to see. Um, and then, um, you know, others like Josh Palkey and people like that, but definitely your mom. But the other one is the name Caitlin Simonson, who is joining me today on the Choir Baton podcast. Welcome. So good to be here. <laughs> so I love this. I, I, I just have to give people a little bit of a background because like, I, I feel like I've known you for years and I like, but in reality, we've only probably spent <laughs> maybe a couple of conferences ch chatting over lunch, maybe. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and then I should also preface too. So the assistant uh, director of course studies or associate, whatever the name is, um, Ryan Holder, who was a dear friend of mine. I was his graduate assistant for two years too. Like, you know, the name Caitlin Simonson runs parallel, right? It's not just an Eda thing. It's also a Ryan thing. And, um, you know, just the awesomeness that is Caitlin Simonson. So it's no secret to the listeners that women can be very competitive against one another as well. And um, whether we do it against ourselves or we're pitted against each other, because we know that happens too. I think that's one of the things that I've always is like cherished so much about you is that, um, your heart and like collaboration like I've never once felt like I need to be I just have always felt so comfortable with you like I could be me and and you know does that make sense mm -hmm. that's very one of the nicest things anybody has ever said to me oh. <laughs> that is so sweet well I'm, I'm glad I mean it I mean it and I remember the first time meeting you 
<laughs> I'm scared. Um, it was my second year, I think, at NAU, and we were taking a, a jazz choir tour to Vegas, and we went to your middle school. And you, I firmly believe you can tell so much about someone when you enter their classroom. And I will forever remember the energy and excitement and just um, that feeling of being in your middle school cho choral classroom because it was amazing, Caitlin. Thank you. I yeah. love that middle school. That was, I still have pictures. Those pictures popped up on my, I think, Facebook feed a while back. And it was so much fun. And my students just loved it. I have students that went to NAU because of that experience and are there now as like freshmen and sophomores. Isn't that crazy? Yep. It is. It is. I have chills. Like, y'all her classroom it just there was just energy within it and it was like master teaching but just like but just love too and and you had a very diverse student population too didn't you yeah the school was um very diverse it was about a third um asian pacific islander so lots of filipino students lots of hawaiian students um, there's another third of the school that was um, Hispanic or Latinx. Um, and then there was the remainder that was a mix of uh, white students, black students, um, you name it. And, and it was an amazing, amazing school because the kids really came together. That was kind of part of the school culture. It was, it was amazing. Um, again, so formative, exciting. And I think we've just kind of like always kept in touch a couple of years later. Um, you did a middle school camp um, that I got to work and be a part of and we got to know each other. And that was so fun. I still use so much of the music um, that you used that summer with schools after and then I think one of the the last time we saw each other in person though was when I was in New York and um I admittedly did call I think I called Emily Wells who you know was my grad school friend and on she was out of town and I was like I would love to see Caitlin Simon so I called you and I said I have a free ticket spare ticket to Wicked can you come join <laughs> I was like um yeah because those tickets don't go on sale <laughs> I hadn't seen it like on Broadway. I'd seen it off Broadway, like in Las Vegas. But I was like, um, yes, uh, first I want to see Beth. And second of all, I would love to see Wicked. <laughs> you can flip flop them. I mean, I'm not I'm not blaming you. The first is to see Wicked and second is just to see that. But I, no, I remember us having like a conversation just, you know, about about life. And, you know, you had gone through so many changes from from moving to New York too. And anyways, this is a long introduction, but just to say, I think you're someone I would really consider a, a dear friend, even though we haven't seen each other very many times. And um, I'm just really excited for you to share your wisdom with us today. Well, thanks. I'm just excited to be here. I don't feel all that wise. I feel very humbled by your introduction. So I hope that I have something, something good to share that people can take away from this. But most of all, I'm just looking forward to a good conversation with Beth. <laughs> oh. I, well, I love it. I love it. Um, so 
we first talked about, I, I don't just like venture into every conversation I have with a musical friend and say like, come be on the podcast. There's usually something that sparks that I'm like, we need to talk about this on the podcast. And we will, that being um, the amazing work Caitlin has done this summer to adapt and engage students through virtual platforms. And I want us to get there, but first um, share with our listeners, like, where are you now? Where have you come from? A little bit of your journey, if you would. Okay. Um, yeah. So like you said, I started teaching right after NAU. I started teaching in Las Vegas at Canarelli Middle School. Um, and that I, I loved it. I taught six through eight choir. I had almost 300 kids in the program and it was just, it was just really amazing. Oops, sorry. Um, and then I was, I moved to New York City and I decided to move there. And the job that I got, because I didn't have certification or anything, was through a company called Education Through Music, which is a nonprofit. And it works with um, schools in underserved communities that don't have a music program. And so they put music teachers there. So I was a, I was a mentor, was my job title. And I went around and um, helped music teachers um, with, some really, really challenging classes. Like some of the, uh, you know, I thought that I had taught a diverse population at Canterbury Middle School in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I thought that that, you know, there were some tough kids. I taught tough kids, but oh my gosh, when I got to the Bronx and some of these really, really underserved schools, um, I realized that I had not taught tough kids yeah. and that they're, the inequalities in our education system are vast right, um, right. and it was a very very humbling experience um when so, you say tough kids real quick i'm just when you say tough kids right i think that it's it's important for us to also begin to talk about how like we all have different perspectives as to what might be tough and you even said right like what you thought was tough was different than this tough why um why were these kids in such a, a tough place right then i think Oh, what made them tough? So first of all, they had never had music in their school community. And part of this program was to put, um, every student had the opportunity to take a music class. Um, and they didn't want to be there. It was, they didn't, and it wasn't just the music class. They just didn't want to be at school. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, it was, uh, there was violence in the music room. Um, there was um, confusion, refusal to work. Like, and this wasn't just from like one kid out of 30. This was, this was the whole class. Right. Um, and it was hard. It was really hard. Um, and the teachers had a really hard time. I mean, there was no, I think most of us go away from our music classes feeling inspired by our students and um, feeling like we've like we've changed them but um, and that's kind of the point in my career where I started to re-examine what success looks like um, coming from the west where um, you know we I came from a district where success was really based on numbers and it was based on how big was your choir how did they do at festival um, and so when I got to New York it was it it was a real mind shift of what does success look like so um, from there, I had spent, I mean, I averaged probably two to three hours a day on the trains. And so I wasn't teaching as much as I wanted to. I was just spending a lot of time on the train. 
got through a lot of audible books, read a lot of Kindle books. Like I was very successful at that, but I decided to take a job on the other end of the spectrum at a private girls school. Um, it's called the Brearley School and it's on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And um, it is worlds different from, from the schools that I was working with in the Bronx. And so I feel like it has given me and again, I kind of felt like I was selling out because I went from these these kids that were um, not interested in music to these girls who are taking private lessons on the side and they're taking like three different instruments privately and they love music and they love me and I they love to be there. Um, and going back to what does success look like? If you're changing the life of a child, you're changing the life of a child. Um, and it doesn't ha matter how well they perform in a recital or how well they do at a concert, they still need music in their life. Um, so doing that, um, I also teach uh, with the National Children's Chorus. I teach a group of four to six-year-olds and then a group of 10 to 12-year-olds. And last year, I just started my own um, women's choir, which is called Loops Maya. And we had one fantastic conversation concert last December before COVID happened a month before our next concert. So um, we're still going, our numbers have dwindled, but I even wrote in my notes, what does success look like? Um, because even, even with small numbers, that's not what it's about. It's about the impact that you're making um, with the people that you have. So yeah, that's my background. <laughs> and that is the life-changing um, interview. I mean, like we could literally stop right there and people would just be so moved and impacted. But I mean, like, what does success look like? That is the driving question that I think if anything, COVID has forced us all to examine whether we wanted to or not, because the metrics with which we have examined what we have perceived as success in choral music is literally not achievable. Um, and there is good and bad that comes from that. And, and I think there is power and amazingness that happens in innovation and you are doing that innovation though in massive and massive ways so share with us if you would um let's jump in to first and foremost and i, I do have other things i want to talk about and i think they'll just thread its way into the conversation but we when we talked amidst the shutdown and stuff you launched an entire kids camp online and it was engaging, engaging, engaging experiences. Share with us a little bit um, about how you even got to the place to saying like, I, let's do this. Yeah. You know, I felt like the, I felt like my students needed it. I felt like it was something that um, parents were looking for. Um, what are we gonna do with our kids once school's out? Um, it, are there summer programs happening? And so I said, let's do this. I reached out to a couple of music teacher friends and we had the most amazing initial Zoom call where I said, okay, if you, like we have, you know, five amazing educators here, what does our ideal music camp look like? And we designed it. And so we started out with a move and sing class every day and we rotated instructors. So the kids were moving and singing. And then we had um, kind of a solo voice class where that's what they were primarily working on was vocal technique. And these are, you know, five, five-year-olds all the way to, I think our oldest was 10, like, li like little kids, but they came out with, you know, a, 
a solo piece that they could sing for auditions or for a talent show at school or you know whatever um then they had choir where we focused on group singing techniques which was difficult because we were online but still so fun um and then we had this we had um my friend's mom is a professional clown but she also does a lot of create like create classes with arts, art projects and things. So she would base, we had a theme for every day and she would base this like create class um, or make up a story based on our theme for the day. And the kids got to do these arts and crafts that related back to music that they could use in their other classes. Um, and then there was one for solely just like games. And these are all singing classes. Like it was a dream camp. <laughs> I love that. So, okay. So first off, let's just talk sheer like logistics. You had five through 10 year olds on zoom or Google meet or whatever online platform, RIP Skype. Um, whatever <laughs> happened, how they, I just still feel so bad for them for missing the boat. Um, but how did you keep them engaged? People are going, well, that's great that she could do it, but I never could, but you didn't have that problem really. No, they were right there with us. I think part of it was um, our, the other teachers were really, really creative. Um, and we had, we had a discussion. I don't know, we can jump into this. I have this whole topic page on my notes. I love um, it. Let's go. I want to I know you have notes. So I want to make sure that we like, don't miss anything that you've also written out. So let's go. No, I just, I, and we don't have to get to everything I wrote. I just, um, Girlfriend, no, it's good stuff. We want it all. So uh, we had this whole conversation about taking advantage of the things. Sorry, that's my radiator. <laughs> Welcome to New York. Um, so <laughs> this con concept of taking advantage of the times, like this is not a time for maintaining traditional classroom settings. Like let it go. This is a time for dumping all of the Legos out onto a bumpy surface and creating something beautiful out of like what you can without a really strong foundation. Like we're, we're building Legos on a gravel surface. Like it's not, it's not an easy thing. Um, so some of the things that we kind of did was we took advantage of the kids having their homes as a, as a tool and having this like you know, we did, this is, and this transfers into what I'm doing now with my students when we are online, we're mostly in person, but sometimes online, um, like dress up. So we played Queen Queen Caroline and I tell them that they're all my servants and this is an island miracle thing. Um, they're all my servants, I'm throwing a party, but at this party, you need to wear something fancy. So you have one minute to go find something fancy. It could be a hat, it could be a scarf, it could be a necklace, it could be, you know, anything. So, oh my gosh, you should see these kids go so fast to go and get something fancy. Um, and then we play the game. Um, another thing is like pet- Queen Caroline? I don't know this game. Oh, it's a little rhyme. Um, and it goes, Queen, Queen, Caroline, washed her hair in turpentine. Turpentine will make it shine, Queen, Queen, Caroline. It's a ta-titi thing, but Eileen Miracle came up with the best game ever. And it works so well on Zoom. Um, so you say that you're the queen, you're throwing this party. I tell them I want 500 pizzas with a million pepperonis on each one. And they have to toss the pizzas and put the pepperonis on. And while the pizzas bake, they have to practice their bows and their curtsies. And then... I turn around and if they, 
smile or laugh or giggle or do something silly behind my back, I send them to the dungeon and they have to turn off their camera. And in the dungeon, it's dark and scary and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you should see these kids because the other thing that we have is this camera that is like a mirror for them. And what kid doesn't love making silly faces in the mirror? So behind my back, they're like going crazy. Um, yeah. Stuff and they're animals. engaged and they're, I mean, oh, yes. Using tools, using cameras. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having them bring things. There's another song that's Peg Leg the Pirate. Have you heard that one? No, I love it. Oh my gosh. Do you want me to sing it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So it goes, Peg Leg the Pirate was feeling depressed. Someone has stolen his treasure chest. Who stole the gold? Who stole the gold? Beth, did you steal the pirate's gold? So you've obviously run to get something gold and shiny that you stole from Pegleg. And then I, you know, they hold it up. So it's a little show and tell, but they're also learning me, me, re, do, la, la, do, do, re, me. Like all of this as they're interacting with other students and showing off their gold shiny thing, um, but still singing and learning. And they love it. I love that. They're not just like sitting, staring at the screen. Like, um, yeah, I could go on. I have a list of 50 things that I wrote out that, you know, that we have that you can't do in a normal class setting, you know? Right. So I want, and I also want to like draw attention to this because we've talked about it before and I want to hear some more of your ideas. Cause I think people that are listening are like, Oh, tell me more and more ideas and different songs like this as people that have um, a passion for working with adult experienced singers or even adult, like kind of inexperienced singers, but then also working with elementary age singers and like running that gamut. And, but also realizing um, it's all musical and it's all, important right right and like some of these games in theory you can do with adults or middle school students or high school students it's so funny my women's chorus <laughs> so I had a rehearsal with them last night and so I had been teaching 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 all week and one of the things that I was doing um was I got a pillow and uh, you know the you know the warm-up I love to sing yep so they took their pillows and they threw them up on the word love. And I said, okay, well now what does it feel like to, you know, to, to throw it and then catch it on the word love. So you're bending your knees and like, you know, lower support. Like, what does it feel like to do all this with different things? Like you couldn't have your singers bring a pillow to class, you know? So I did that with eight-year-olds and I did that with 60-year-olds and everyone loved it and everyone got something out of it, you know, like, I did the same warm up. I did, oh, sorry, with my little ones. I just did it one time. With my older singers, they had to do it two to three times in a row, and we sang higher and lower. Like it's, yep, it's the same. Why is there that block that it has to be babies? It has, and I may say babies being like elementary age. It has to be this. It has to be that. Why do you think we have that block? Um, I think, I think part of it is being stuck in tradition and doing what the teachers before us did. Um, I also think part of it is maybe there's a block in relating to kids. Um, I feel like as I've taught 
children. I never, I never thought at NAU, I never thought that I would be teaching kindergarten through fourth grade music ever. It was not in my plan for my life. Um, but here I am. And the things that I have learned as I have done that about the kids, how to interact with them, and also like how the elementary experience impacts everybody's learning and the learning process for the adults and for the high school students. Like if they don't have the fundamentals of high and low, loud and soft from kindergarten, you've got to take them back to that because they're not going to be able to understand solfege and, you know, dictating melodies if they don't understand the basics that they should have learned in kindergarten. Yeah. And I think that everybody, everybody who's teaching music needs to have that experience of teaching kids at some point so that you can see the fundamental blocks. And when the light goes on and they get it, that's the light that's not going on in your high school students at Camps I read, you know? Right. And I think that is too what's so helpful I guess in the long run or eye-opening is the fact that when you went to the schools in the Bronx and worked with them to see that gap like a glaring gap not just of skills that exist but in the possibilities to close those gaps and and um and continue to elevate students further how much harder it is when that foundation isn't there Mm -hmm. exactly exactly all right. So give us another, what's another, I love the, oh my gosh, the throwing the pillow up. Like, I love that. What else you got? Um, let's see. One of the things is a greater presence in the home. Um, and you know, kids are singing in their homes all of a sudden and the parents are getting this little glimmer into what we do in our classrooms. This is K through 12. And even with my women's chorus, they're singing in their homes and their kids are hearing their moms sing not just lullabies, but like sing, like, I love New York, while they cast their hands out the window that we did that one time. We opened our windows and we stuck our heads out and we sang, I love New York, because we could like take advantage of the opportunity, I guess. I love that though. But part of this summer, this summer camp was the recital at the end of it. And we've done several at home recitals um, since, you know, COVID. and I will never forget, I have a very um, prominent actor who his daughter um, attended this camp. And so she joined on to this recital at the end of this camp. And I said, oh my gosh, you have a music stand. She goes, oh yeah, I have, I have a whole stage. So she had this curtain behind her. She, and then she gave me a tour of her living room and they had set up, I'm not talking ring lights. I am talking like television show lighting boxes and she had this little stool that she was sitting on with a music stand she didn't use music she was memorized but you know she had the whole stage set for this recital that the parents got to be a part of and it was just such an amazing thing to me to see these these homes and she wasn't the only one that had a stage like everyone had kind of you know reorganized their living room so that their kids had this stage and they could feel like they were performing like what an amazing family opportunity and along the same vein like with my women's chorus we did a virtual choir as like everyone has you know 
And I encourage them to do a video with their family. So they taught their kids, you know, the melody. And, you know, I have all these recordings of these women with their, with their children or with their families or like what they're doing during COVID. There's people on swings, um, you know, swinging in their hammock with their son. There's moms building Legos with their kids. Like just like all these different family moments that are captured and they're watching their moms sing. And these aren't professionals. These are, these are women who like to sing. You know, it was just, ugh, it's just really touching. <laughs> I have chill. Like, I mean, I just have chills thinking about it. Right. And, and we talked about it this summer, the opportunity for music to be in homes, like never before. Mm -hmm. And you're taking advantage of that. Yeah. That's great. How, how are you being so creative girlfriend? <sighs> Um, I think, I think it's this like success mindset. I think it's like, uh, what can I do now that I couldn't do then? And it, like I said, turning tradition upside down, you've got to get rid of it. Your winter concerts are not going to look the same. Nothing, nothing's going to look the same right now. So make the most of it. Like <laughs> I was venting to a teacher friend, which I'm sure many of us have that right now we're spending twice as much time planning lessons that are half as good that we will never use again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and I feel that when I can't sing with my students, I'm planning these lessons that are, you know, mostly rhythmic and they're playing a xylophone app on their iPads because they can't play the real thing. And it's just like, Oh, how do I make this as good as I possibly can knowing that it's half as good as my best and that I'm never going to use it again. You know, it's tough to find the motivation to do that. Right. But at the same time, when you see the kids and you see them engage with the music and you see them having fun, even though, you know, it's not as good as it could be because they're not singing in person and they're not hearing each other sing, you know that you did something good and that your success for that day is, you know, changing that kid's life or getting them engaged when they're not engaged in any of their other classes, you know? So I don't know. But have you found things that you're like, oh, I would try an app again at some point or, um, you know, have you found things that you would use again? That's a really good question. You know, I think that I really like, so we were a tech-free lower school. We call it lower school, not elementary school. It's a private school and it's, you know, fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so the, the kindergarten through fourth grade girls, it was completely tech-free until March. And so there was a huge learning curve for the kids. Right. Um, and I really tried to limit the number of apps that I'm using in music because I want it to be more music-making and hands-on. I think they get a lot of it in their other classes. Just from, and this is just my school, my perspective. They're right. getting lot of tech using the apps in their other classes. So from what I have done so far, I would definitely, if they're going to keep the iPads, I would definitely keep the xylophone app on their iPads because they have loved that. I know that they've played it at home. Um, I think that that's been really good for them. Um, beyond that, I think that Flipgrid has worked really well, um, which I know that lots of teachers use, but I'm not a huge 
app person. Like we're not using, we're not using Seesaw at my school, which I like, I, I know it. that other teachers are so excited about it, but I just, I give them paper still. They all get their own manipulatives and they all get to touch and feel the paper. And they are so excited when I give them a piece of paper <laughs> because they can hold it and they can feel it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. The fact that a, you guys were able to be tech free before, but I think also amazing in that we keep saying kids are going to be, Oh, so much more integrated into tech after this, et cetera, et cetera. But I really do think there's going to be this renewed sense of appreciation for non-technical experiences. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I do think like, I even wrote down like, how is this going to impact music education in the future? Um, and I think one of the biggest ways is it's impacted teachers' creativity. And it's forced teachers to get away from um, our traditions that we have used for the past, I don't know, for the, our entire careers really, um, and get away from that and be creative. Like you, you can't, you can't survive right now. Everyone is doing something different. I don't even know of like a school district where every school is doing the same thing. Like everybody's situation is different. And so I think it's really forced teachers to go back to our childlike minds and create. Right. Right. Well, and so it's so interesting that you say that too, because I also then think it aligns to the, the theme, right, is what is success? And we have been emblazoned upon our hearts and minds, whether intentionally or not, to measure our success by looking at what others are doing. And in some ways, it's easier for us to look at what others are doing because teachers are sharing a lot more online these days. Now, I also think it's because some of them are going crazy from not being around students. I was like flipping through Instagram today when I was probably in the bathroom or whatever. And I was watching Instagram stories of teachers and I was like, bless their hearts. You can tell they're losing it because <laughs> everyone's talking online on like stories, which I get 110%. I'm not judging. I'm saying like a bless. But in a lot of other ways, right? Like you're not able to compare. Like, how are you going to say that so-and-so did so-and-so when you didn't go to a, a winter concert or you, we probably won't have festival or so-and-so didn't get into all state, et cetera. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's gonna be, um, I think it's really forced teachers also to look at what is important in their program right. and and reconnect with their students in a way that is not based on their student success. Right. Because I think sometimes we, we have a greater connection with those kids who are doing the honor choirs and doing Allstate and doing really, really well, but there's no more, there's no more of that. Like when you see your kids, if you are like, if you are virtual and you see your kids on a screen, if you want to hear them sing, you can't hear them all at once. There's no kids that can hide behind other voices. They have to sing individually. And I think that that's, that's a huge big takeaway is the independence of our students and using things like Flipgrid and having them submit videos of, or you know, recordings of themselves singing is something that has enhanced the choral musicians independence in a big way from in all levels, you know, participating in virtual choirs 
we've seen kids step up that never would have before because they're always in this room comparing themselves to that section leader soprano who is you know the teacher's favorite and they feel like they can't ever live up to them you know what i mean yeah i just had a conversation um with a girlfriend yesterday two days ago yesterday something about how you know in a bizarre way when we all show up on a zoom rehearsal we all are equal all of our boxes are the same size on a screen and no one can see what, you know, for the most part, like you're wearing or hear what you sound like or, you know, little things like that. It has, in many ways, if you are able to show up realizing, right, there's a quality issues where oftentimes people aren't able to show up in um, a virtual standpoint, but it, it is an equalizer, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. One thing too, I think that in like hearing you talk about the different activities that you've done with the kids, like, oh my God, the pillow thing. I, I just, you know, you listening to this, I, I, I bet Caitlin, I'm just going to like go out on a, a limb here, but not really like I get a guarantee, like any teacher that's listening to this and hearing the pillow. And like, I love to sing. You have to tag Caitlin when you listen to this episode and then try it with your kids. And I would, I bet you're going to start getting so many tags because it's such a fun and great idea. I'm um, like, I, if I was in my bedroom, I, it's all I can do to like not grab a pillow right now and try it. Um, I, I freaking love it. But I think it's also in times where you feel most desperate and like, wow, what do I do that? That's where that innovation comes in. Absolutely. There's like, I'm pretty sure there's some famous quote by some famous person saying what you just said, or maybe it's just you. You're also the genius. Um, but yeah, the innovation really happens when when we're like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? You know? And so like we I we played a dart game where, you know, we're singing this song and I'm like, okay, there's no way that I can just stand here and sing this with them on Zoom. So they threw a dart and the dart that they hit this flower and I told them, okay, you have to throw your dart all the way to Las Vegas. I was in Vegas at the time. And I did. And so I threw the dart and I missed and I was like, come on guys, you got to have better aim. So they threw it and they hit the dart that said, turn out the lights." So they took their iPads or their computers or whatever into their bathrooms and turned out the lights and we sang it in the dark. Like, you know, it's like silly, silly things like that, that they just like love. They love and it gets them up and moving, you know? And I also tell my kids, I think sometimes on Zoom, we're like kind of obsessed with looking at ourselves in the mirror um, and the kids 100% are, and this is like their little mirror. So for warmups during class, I turn my video off. So they are not looking at the screen. They're walking around the room and they're not allowed to be in the frame. I said, I don't need to see you. As long as you're singing and doing what you're supposed to be doing, I don't need to see you. Go walk around the room, get away from the screen. Why do they need to look at the screen for warmups? They don't you know, and also most of them are looking down. So how terrible is that for their posture? And they're singing, like looking at the screen, like staring down. No, sorry. Show me your side profile where you're looking at something like just above eye level, you know? And that's like for five-year-olds on up, like everybody does that. Nobody looks at the screen during warmups in my, in my rehearsals, just because like, why? <laughs> so I just say, as long as you can hear my voice, that's fine. Unless we're doing like the stretch your face warmups. Like I heard this lion face where you go or lemon face. Cause like, you know, when you're doing face stretches, come on, you want to look in the mirror a little bit. 
Yeah, totally. Or even also being able to look at everyone too at the same time when you're doing that is super fun. Right. Yeah. And it's so cute. That's, I mean, that's on my list too. Space. The singers can move freely. I have the, like, in our rehearsals, unless you're teaching in like some massive choir room, which never happens in New York City, um, I've never had a choir room where all of my students can lay on the floor on their back and show belly breaths. Like I've never had that much space before. So have like, they, like I do many rehearsals where they lay on their backs. I can't see them. They have their bellies, their hands on their bellies and they're, you know, taking deep breaths and singing like that so that they can get this feeling of no tension in the shoulders, no tension in the neck. What does that feel like? And now sit up, put your elbows on your knees, let your belly fall into your lap. You know, like we can't, we can't do that in our normal classrooms. So I don't know. We're taking advantage of the space, I guess. I wish we were like doing this live and I could add, like do a poll and be like, have you thought about this before? How, like how many of your singers have said looking at a Zoom thing versus that? And I would venture to say that the majority myself included i'm sure like on a certain level you just for you just forget again it goes back into we've always done it this way and now we're just doing it this way but on zoom and a testament to your creativity <laughs> i mean i'm sure that i'm not the first first person to think of this but you know warm-ups are for vocal development like if you're conducting something then sure they need to watch and they need to be able to see your hand gestures and everything like that but you know, right. the other thing, this camera idea really, if the kids are looking at the screen, it really focuses their attention because sometimes with my kindergartners or anybody really, I shouldn't just say kindergartner, I'll put the camera only on my hands and my legs or just on my feet. Like if we are doing beat keeping, instead of stepping to the beat like this, I will set my computer on the ground and it is zoomed in on the part of my body that is keeping the beat. And it makes a huge difference for those little kids to see just your feet. I mean, in a classroom, there are so there, there are pictures on the walls. There's, you know, 20 other kids. There's like all these different things. But when you're, when you have this captivating image where you're spotlighted on their screen, that's another thing we can take advantage of is where are their eyes directed? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What else? Uh, <laughs> uh let's see oh one time we built forts we had a we had like a slumber party so all the kids came in their pajamas I mean anybody could do this high school choir you know whatever everybody came in their pajamas it was on a Friday night at like 4 30 because you know they're little kids yeah um and they built forts and they came to this like little camp out in their forts and they had twinkle lights hung up and all we did was fun camp songs we read a story we told one of those stories where you like you know an add-on story where like on a dark and stormy night uh caitlin walked outside in new york city and forgot her umbrella what happens next beth and then you know pass the story around all the kids like just like Fun, fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then you take that though and you infuse, like this is not something again that is devoid of um, rehearsals that you have with people over the age of 10, but it's bringing mm -hmm. that into adults. And I think, you know, you 
you said this eloquently before, it's that we lose sight of what it's like to be childlike and to have fun and to be silly. And you are, you know, afforded right now, but many, many people are the luxury of being around young children and being around adults. They just aren't brave enough to spread out and to take space in both places and be the same person in both like you're being. Right. We did a, you know, I've also been thinking about this, not just on online, but in a space where our, my students are socially distant and they can't sing. So we were doing the concept of slow movement. And so I read slowly, slowly, slowly said the sloth or slow. Yeah, I think it said the sloth. Um, I think it's Eric Carl. Um, and so I sing slowly, slowly, slowly. And so we were moving slowly to, um, I don't know, some slow mu music and they have their desks in our normal music room. They don't have their desks. So I told them that they could use their desks like the tree that the sloth was in and they could do anything on their desk. It probably wasn't the safest activity, um, but they were like laying on their desks with their foot in the air. They put one foot on the ground, one foot on the desk and their belly on their chair. Like how many different slow, you should have seen how slowly these kindergartners moved they were like at a glacial pace and so happy about it because they're like hanging onto their desk like a sloth <laughs> it was just you know like they have their desks they don't have a tree but they wouldn't normally have that so that's what we're doing today but those are the memories that when they are 15, 25, 35, and so on, like I, I would venture to say they will see you and go, Miss Simonson, I remember that day when I was a sloth on my desk. Yeah. Yeah. There was a day when I, this was before COVID, but they had worked all the way up. Every time they did something good, instead of doing marbles in a jar or something boring like that, sorry if you do that, we did bugs in a jar. <laughs> And so they, I had these like little stupid rubber bugs from Oriental Trading and we put them in these like bug catching jars that I had made for each class and I would freak out and pretend like the bugs were flying on me or whatever. They thought it was hilarious and I was like, you guys are, it's such a cheap laugh with seven year olds. Um, but anyway, so at the end we went on this camping day and so I brought in a big queen size sheet and we built a fort and all the students gathered around underneath it and I gave them like a little s'mores bag with marshmallows and chocolate chips and golden grams and we read a story and I kid you not that was three years ago and kids still come up to me and they say do you remember camping day camping day was the best day in music ever <laughs> okay <laughs> like we didn't do anything I mean maybe we sang a camp song or two but like they didn't learn anything, but sure made them love music. <laughs> so I, don't know. I say they house. didn't learn anything, but like they they learned something. Sometimes learned learning something. to love is I mean, we forget, right? Like learning to love is a skill. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Enjoying something, having fun, being silly, it's also important. Absolutely. Yeah. Where do you begin to see yourself grow in this mindset of what is success? Ooh. 
Um, it's hard. Sometimes it's challenging to see the worth um, in, you know, with my women's chorus. And I've talked to them about this, so I don't feel bad sharing it. But, you know, we went from a choir of 30 plus women in our first season to a dwindling number of maybe 12 to 15 people who come to rehearsal every week. Um, but for those people, I know it has a big impact in their lives. Um, and it has a huge impact in my life. And so it's really forced me to say, okay, no, we don't have the 30 people. It doesn't feel as successful because you're not hearing the voices. Like we're doing, we're kind of doing hybrid rehearsals. So I'm not hearing all of the voices. And I think in regular choral rehearsals, you get this like kind of dopamine hit if they get a release right, or if they get that chord to lock or, you know, it's like a, oh yes, okay, now we're motivated to keep working. And it's really hard to not have that. It's really hard. And so I've really forced myself to say, okay, what does success look like for me as a conductor? Taking the choir out of it because I know that they're going to feel success if I am being successful. So what does that look like for me? Um, and I think part of it is this idea of taking advantage of what we have right now, like pillows on our bed and windows that we can scream out of and, you know, different things like that. And this opportunity where people are on mute. So they're willing to take better risks. Like yesterday we did a 30 minute warm up just on like range extension and got them to, you know, try new things, use a straw to sing, sing higher than you normally would because because you're on mute and there's no reason not to take that risk, you know? Um, so I think that, I think that I, I also have this planner that I'm going to plug because it's amazing. It's called like the high performance planner from Amazon, but it asks you questions. Have you seen this? It's from Brendan Bouchard. I don't know. It's Isn't black it? and it has like a ribbon in it. Is that who it's from? Yeah. I, I yes. bet it, Yeah. I bet it's Brendan Bouchard. I'll look it up later. Um, but it asks you, it asks you every day, like what's something you're looking forward to? Um, who, who really needs you on your A game today? Things like that. And then at the end of the day, you do a recap um, and say, you know, a moment that you were really grateful for today or um, things like that. So that, that planner has really also helped to change my mindset of instead of checking boxes off the list and being task oriented, it's what is my purpose when I'm doing this task, you know? Um, so what is my purpose when I'm planning this rehearsal for the 12 women who are going to show up on zoom and I can't hear them, <laughs> you know, and my purpose is to help them become better singers and to help them feel motivated. This was the other thing I wrote down motivation in big letters. Um, help them feel motivated to be better people and to keep going in a time that is really hard. It's hard to navigate. Like there's, there's no, there's no telling that. So this idea of motivation, um, in my mind, just talking from students and teachers, like I really struggled to get a few students motivated. So I kind of did this, like, I wouldn't even call it a study because it wasn't, it was asking middle schoolers, when do you feel most motivated? And what I came out with from like 
that experience until now is like motivation is a balance of feeling successful and challenged. And so how do you give, how do you give singers a feeling of success, but also help them to feel challenged, like they're accomplishing something to get that dopamine hit, like you would get from leveling up on a video game. You know, if it's too overwhelming for them and they're, you're handing them sight reading that they can't do, they're not going to be motivated <laughs> because it's too much. They don't feel successful. Um, but if you hand them something that's way too easy, then they're also not going to feel motivated. So how do you, how do you level up? So to say, so sometimes you can stop me if you want to, but no, I love this. I love this. Yeah. So sometimes I'll add levels to things like, um, we'll be singing, a singing an easy folk song, like I love the mountains. I love the rolling hills. You know, that one. Um, and then level two would be to add, you know, an ostinato. So if singing is enough for you, just sing. Level two is you can add the ostinato if you want to. Level three is uh, sing boom deada, boom deada as the, you know, the harmony part. So they can level up on their own. And then, and then your singers, you know, you would think that all of them would just level up. But after you do it a couple of times and give them these levels, they start to recognize where they're at what's that thing when you think about your own thinking metacognition yeah um and they know where they're at and they know what they can what they can do what they need to work on and sometimes it's just the vocal technique sometimes it's that they want an extra physical challenge you know yeah and wherever they're at, it's okay. But gosh, also, isn't it to not even being at a certain level, but knowing what level you should be at? Right. Yeah. That and if you develop that culture, like in your classroom, whatever age group, I think that the singers catch on. And then there's not this competitive atmosphere where that one section leader soprano is making another soprano feel like she can't really sing out because she's never going to live up to all state Sally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will forever use all state Sally. <laughs> and as I say, all state Sally, I'm going to sing it Mustang Sally, but all state Sally in my head. <laughs> Absolutely. That is amazing. Caitlin, thank you. Thank this you. flew by. Like, I mean, it literally, it just flew by. And I mean, this episode, I hate people like continue to come back to this because there's so many threads of, of just things and um, ideas we can do in addition to pillars of, you know, this pillar of what is success and what is motivation or yeah. And how, how are we thinking about what we are doing with also being innovative within that as well, particularly during this time. Right. Absolutely. It's kind of like the, uh, I'm sure you've heard the find, find your brilliance talks. Like you got to find your brilliance and your students and you, right. what does it look like? Right. Awesome. Well, if people are in the New York city, area and want to come and sing in your women's choir and or follow y'all on social and all the things what's the best way to get in touch with you there um luke's may acquire is our instagram handle 
Um, and my, you can share my personal Instagram as well. It's just Caitlin Simonson. Um, Luke'smea.org is our website and there's a link to email us there. Um, and I can share all that information with you, but yes, any women, we had this, we had an outdoor rehearsal on my patio a couple weeks ago and it was amazing. This girl from the fifth floor just stuck her head out and she goes, you guys sound amazing. And I said, are you a woman? Come join our choir. <laughs> so she DM'd me on Instagram. And so I sent her the information <laughs> and she just, she's my upstairs neighbor. <laughs> that is, that's what this is all about. We never exactly. know who you're reaching. Never know who you're reaching. Wow. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Beth.